morning. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers. Uh, it's a blessing. In the seventh chapter, verse 25 of 1 Corinthians, Paul has been speaking to the married. He's been speaking to those that are divorced and the reason why the eschatological women was ranting, saying it's better. Even if you're in marriage, not to have sex and all that. We talked about that last week, but now Paul kind of turns the page. We are supposed to be seeking those things that are above, no matter what area that the Lord has placed us in in this life. He, he, he turns to the virgins. And this word virgins, he really, at least when he starts to speak, He's speaking to the single men because remember the eschatological women, they said, hey, it's better if you don't get married. And if you are married, abstain from sex. That makes you more spiritual. They were pneumatic women. They thought that they were really living in the millennial kingdom. So they were all twisted. I'm not going to get myself in trouble here. I just got through talking to some fellas <laughs> about something like this, so I'm going to be cool. But we will start at verse 25. The Holy Spirit being born on the Apostle Paul, he writes these words, and that's where these words come from, the heart of a loving God who wants our life to represent him in every area of our lives. He says in verse 25, now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord. He's saying the Lord did not speak to him about these things. We'll find out a little later what that means. He goes on to say, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. Verse 25 it's interesting because, like I said, virgins here is masculine. So he's speaking to these young men. He says, I have no commandment from the Lord, so I'm going to give you my advice. And just because the Apostle Paul says this is my advice, remember, he is an apostle. So when he writes, he has the, the certification of the Lord. He's, he's being born by the Spirit still, but he says, the Lord, he didn't talk to me about this, so I'm going to give you my advice on the issue. So it's really straight from the mouth of the Holy Spirit, even though Jesus did not speak to him about these things. We'll see that a little later. He says, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. And the emphasis is not so much on his being a faithful apostle, even though Paul was, but it was on his trustworthiness of his judgment that he's about to lay down here. What makes this so remarkable is he says he received mercy from the Lord on what he's speaking about. This is an amazing statement, Paul says. He appeals neither to his apostleship, he does not do that, nor to his authority in Christ, he doesn't do that either. Rather, it's his apostleship and therefore his judgments on such non-essential matters are viewed in terms of the Lord's mercy to him. He says, the Lord has given me mercy to speak on these things. Remember, Paul has said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Verses 9 through 10, he says, for I am the least of the apostles. It's amazing. And the Lord set it up like this. Those who need to hear it, it'd be better to let it sink in your heart. Paul is going to say, where I've arrived at is not because of my wanting to get there, that I was pushing everybody away and climbing to where I am to be an apostle. Paul says, no, it does not work like that in the kingdom of God. The Lord Jesus Christ stooped down in his humility and his humbleness 
And that's the way truly that is up. And he learned that from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul still says, for I am the least of the apostles. Now, when you think of all all of the apostles, he ranks number one on my chart. And I think he ranks number one on my chart. Not only how he persecuted the church and thought he was doing everything right, but in his humility, Paul knows it's the grace of God that touched his life. Nobody else could have changed Paul's heart, could have changed Paul's direction he was going in because he was adamant. I'm right. Everybody else is wrong about this itinerant Savior y'all call Jesus Christ. And finally, when God said, I'm going to humble you because that's what it's going to take for you to come to me, that was all grace. He says, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace, and he'll use this word three times, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. We can stop right there because Paul, that's the life he lived. He, he counted himself fortunate after all the things he had done that the Lord would still touch him and use him. But he says, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Which probably means here that the Corinthian believers are to understand his advice as an expression of that same mercy that the Lord touched him with. So the ultimate appeal is to Christ's mercies, not to the Lord's commands. That's why he says, by the mercies of God. And they must have asked him a question. What about, what about singleness, Paul, these men? And he starts off in verse 26. Paul says, I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress. And we're going to hang there for a minute because it's so important. That's why Paul tells them this, because of the present distress that was happening, that it is good for a man to remain as he is because of the present distress. He goes on in verse 27. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loose from a wife? Do not seek a wife. And this is Paul's advice once again. But even if you do, here's the grace, marry, you have not sinned. Let's get that straight. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Paul goes on to say, nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh. But I would spare you. He's saying marriage is very complicated. Marriage should be a selflessly transaction when you get there. He's saying there will be problems relative to the present distress. And Paul's speaking of his day in the culture. We have to remember that Nero had been on the throne for about four years now. And the attitude of Rome toward the Christian community was changing rapidly, as it is in our country. We can't fall asleep on this issue. It's changing. When, they, when people think of Christians and Christianity, they think we're bigoted, they think we're racist, they think all of the things that we're not, because they're the, they don't know, they, they have not come inside the kingdom. And so that's what Paul is speaking of here. By this time, several famines had spread through the area relative to Corinth. Historians says that there, there had been a, several earthquakes at this time, and there was a lot of persecution happening at the time. Nero had burned Rome, and he, of course, we know he blamed that on the Christians. And most unbelievable It was a season of persecution that the church would never hardly see again. Paul would say, and I believe he says this as a prophet, look, you single guys, at this point, I believe it's better if you stay single in light of the present distress. 
Because if you have to face these hardships, and Paul knew all about them, being shipwrecked, being scourged, being uh, just followed by robbers and being uh, robbed and all those things of his own countrymen, he says. He says, I suppose it would be a lot easier for you if you were by yourself. As we think about where we live in America, if things continue on the present track, it won't be long before it's not only illegal to stand up in the pulpit and preach the sincere word of God, Canada is already cracking down on that part. Great Britain, if you say anything about sexual preferences, you're off to jail. How long before our freedoms are taken away? We are blessed here that the persecution hasn't arrived yet in a big way, but I'm here to tell you, it's coming. That's why you need to be in the word and in prayer and being prayed up for when these things happen because they're on the way. We're going to teach the word here at Calvary Restore. It would be much easier for me to go to jail and not have to worry about my wife or my children and Paul is saying, considering the present distress in his culture and in his time, I suppose it would be better for Rome to take me instead of seeing my wife and kids dragged into the arena and watch them get raped and killed in front of me. The stress and the pressure of that would be unimaginable. That's why Paul says what he says. But relative to this present distress, if you're single now, you have the greatest opportunity to be mobile, to do missions, to work, to serve Christ. You have a great freedom to do those things, to move, to be able to do things for the Lord. Looking at the days we live in, Look at what's going on. You have tremendous freedom to do all of those things. It's a decision you have to make up your mind for. And even if you're planning on being married one day, while you're single, Paul is saying this is the opportune time to be serving the Lord with all your heart. Because things get more complicated when you're married. Remember, Paul is under a different kind of circumstance right here. So he says in verse 26 and 28, because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. He goes on to say, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loose from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh. And Paul says, I will spare you. Paul says, I'm not laying some guilt trip on any of you that are single. But you have to understand, I will spare you because if you get married, he says, there will be responsibilities that go along with the married lifestyle. And he's going to take more, talk more and more about these things as we go. He says in 29, but this I say, brethren, the time is short. The time is short. The time is short. That from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Now, please, guys, don't underline that phrase because you might take it, you might be living as, you don't have, as if you don't have a wife now, and that's not good. You, you should, if you're married, you should be living as you're married, not neglecting your wives and all of those things. Paul says in verse 29, the latter part of it, those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess, 
and those who use this world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. That's very key. The form, the schema, the schematics, the diagram of the scheme. We know that Satan is the God of this world, little g that is. And with all of his schemes to keep us occupied, to keep us focused on this age, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Instagram, whether it's Twitter, it's all to keep us occupied what's happening on the here and now. You know, I, I'm glad, so I give you, you younger guys a little grace on this, but I'm so happy that I was born when I was born. Because if I could, the way I see the kids on Instagram and Twitter, uh, Twitter and all those things, if I was young in the 70s, I, I, I probably would be. I mean, constantly. Families at dinner, constantly. Those, and you can take it to the bank or you don't have to, but those are tools of the enemy. He knows what he's doing. Yes, they can be used for a lot of profitable things. But of course, Satan has snatched them and he uses those things where there's to split up the family. I, I'm just going to tell you, when, when I was 13, and I thank God for this, because I, I I'm not going to put my brother in my shame, so this is me. When my mom and dad would leave the house, and I'm in middle school and going to high school, they would tell, uh, other kids would tell them, all you got to do is go look in your dad's drawer. There's a pornography magazine there. They, it's got to be there. So when they would go, I would start looking. Could never find them. So either he didn't have them there, he had a very good hiding place. The reason I tell you all of that, can you imagine having a phone at that age, pulling up anything you you want to see? Don't tell me Satan is not working because he is and he knows what he's doing and he's splitting the family up. But the Holy Spirit is saying, and we might not get farther from this, but I'm going to try to finish this today, this chapter anyway, close. The time is short. I think the NIV gets it wrong there. The King James really doesn't say much about it, but the phrase that he used is a present paraphrastic passive indicative. You can throw that away if you want to. There's only one other place, though, catch this, in the New Testament where the phrase is used. I'll read it to you. You'll know the account of Ananias and Sapphira, how they sought to deceive the apostles. And Ananias, it says, he fell down dead. The Holy Spirit says, Paul says, you lie to men and God. And then Acts 5, 6 tells us, And the young men arose and wrapped him up. That's our phrase. The time is short. They wrapped him up. They wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. The only other time it's used in the New Testament is when Paul speaks of uh, 1 Thessalonians. He says, chapter 5, he says, the time. And that word, the time, is chronos. And then he says, and seasons. That word is kairos, a larger or smaller portion of time that's defined by a season. Paul looks at the history of mankind here. As far as Paul was concerned, he was living in the last days, even right here. Acts 2, remember when Peter stood up to preach on the day of Pentecost? He said, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass In these last days, that's Acts chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. The apostolic view of this was the last day started at the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And we're in that time period right now. These are the last days. They started when Jesus resurrected. That's when the apostolic, uh, the, the disciple says, this is when the last days started. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 will tell you, 
the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus says in the next verse, it is not for you to know, here it is, the times and the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Paul is speaking here about the imminent return of Jesus Christ. He believes Christ can return at any moment. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what a good Christian church should teach because that's what the Bible says. Paul was expecting to see the return of Christ in his day. He lived in the light of the imminent return of Christ. And that's important for us all to understand. I think the Lord would have every generation live in the imminent return of Christ. Because as 1 John says, it gives us that purifying effect if we're looking for him every second of every day. 1 John 3, 3 tells us this, and everyone who has this hope in him, in Christ, purifies himself just as he is pure. It enhances our effort to evangelize. Christ could come at any moment. We need to be telling unbelievers that the time is short. It is a healthy sense to live that way. Christ could come at any time. Whenever he, he, he comes, his return for you and I are closer than any other generation of the church that had, has ever lived. And again, when I look at this, I think, how close are we to Christ's return? Paul is giving them an exhortation here. He says, I'm going to say this, brethren, to the whole church. He says, the seasons, listen to this, has been shortened. I never caught that until I was studying this. I tell Lydia, I tell my family all the time, man, the days seem like they're just getting shorter and shorter. And, they, and, and Erica especially, she's just, oh, dad, you're just getting older. You're just getting older. Well, this shows that in some way, and I'm not a scientist, but in some ways, these days are getting shorter. It, it just can't be me thinking like that. The days are getting shorter. Jesus said they would. That's where we live, by the way. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 22, and unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. We usually take that to think of the end times, uh, the tribulation period. But everybody knows, even a dummy like me, everybody knows the tribulation period is only seven years, so you, you can count that up. So he has to be talking about more than that. The elect we know will not be here in the tribulation period. Paul understands what he's saying. There has to be a shortening of everything. I think I was telling David Hickey this morning, him and Rick Shabelsky out front, you said, I said, now I'm, I'm going to give you this. I'm getting older. So that, that's, put that on the side and smoke on that. I'll give the doubters that. That's what I'm saying. But as I was taking out my clothes from the closet, putting them upstairs, every once in a while, I have to think, and I said, now, is, this, is spring coming, is summer coming, or, or winter? Because I'm taking a bunch of clothes upstairs, I need to get this right. But what I'm trying to tell you, the scripture tells us the times are getting shorter and shorter. So it's just not me getting older. Let me, let me say that. It's just not me getting older that thinks that way. God says it here. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. Times, once again, are non-descriptive, lengthy periods of time. That's what times mean, chronos. Without a definition to them, they're just time, just goes on, just goes on. That could be a week. It could be a thousand years. But then you have keros, the seasons. So we're talking about times and seasons. Seasons, they mark the beginning and ending of those times. So there's been 2,000 years since Christ said, 
many of these things. But he said there would be certain signs, like signs of spring. You know, it's coming. Flowers begin to bloom and all those things. Or signs of fall when the leaves turn colors. You know that winter is on the way. So certain signs Jesus has told us about. We've passed through times and we've entered into a season now. The rebirth of the nation of Israel, the proliferation of weapons. We're the first generation that could eliminate ourselves in war. We have entered into an era that the Bible has described clearly, and we are now in a season. That's what I'm speaking to you about, a season of change. It's all on the news. You know I watch my news. What's happening in the Middle East? What's happening in Africa? Big stir about getting all the stuff for the, for the uh, oh, I cannot think of it now. Lord, I'll come back to it. I blame that on my old age and my aneurysm now. So I've got two weapons. It's all on the screen, ethically and morally, the things that are happening in America. Paul says in the latter part of 29, but this I say, brethren, the time is short. It isn't just time, once again, chronos, but it speaks of seasons, and it has been shortened. We've entered into the season that is marking the end of a period of time. That's what the Bible says that has gone by. So he says, but this I say, brethren, the time is short so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. The time is wrapping up. Things are wrapping up here on this planet. So he says there's a way that we should live. That's the nuts and bolts of it. Time is short. There's a way we should live. If we're married, that we should live in the urgency of our hour. And that's our marriage, that our marriage shouldn't keep us from serving Christ. I'm married, so I can't do this. I'm married, so I can't go to the park on Wednesday. Boy, we blame so, much, so many things on our marriages. Paul said we shouldn't do this. He said there was a, remember the, the parable Jesus told? I think it was in Luke. He says, there was a king, verse 17, and sent his servants at supper time. That's a tough place for me to get off of the table then. That's why Jesus said at supper time. To say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. A marriage supper has been prepared for his son, and he invited people to come and celebrate with him. They began to make excuses. You know I can't come. I have to prove a team of oxen. Others says I can't come. I bought a piece of land. I need to go, now that he's purchased it, I need to go and see what it looks like. You know that's a flat out lie from the beginning. Another one says I've just got married. I need to go see my wife. Jesus says that's unacceptable. Marriage should never keep us from serving Christ. That's why you make sure that you marry a believer to be equally yoked. Paul says, are you married considering the time has been shortened, that things are wrapping up here? We should live as though we're not. In regards to that, you shouldn't keep us, keep, keep us from serving Christ with the fervor. That's how we should serve Christ. We should be on fire for the Lord. Verse 30 tells us, Paul continues, those who weep as though they did not weep. This earthly pilgrimage that we are on, suffering is a normality in life. In most of the world, and if we lose a loved one, listen, because I see some people, they torture themselves having lost a loved one. But if we're really believers, 
If that loved one is with the Lord, I guarantee you, if you could go to heaven and say, hey, come back, I miss you so much. I can't even focus on this life anymore. I'm missing you so much. They would say, hey, you got to get over it. You're coming to see me one day. I don't want to leave this place. That's the place that we're going to. That's why we don't weep and that's why we don't sorrow like the world as if we don't have a hope. We've got to know we're going to meet those loved ones again one day. Latter part of verse 30, Paul says, those who weep as though they did not weep, Paul says, we're getting closer to that reunion. You're going to see them face to face again. Where is our hope? That's the question. We should live in light of eternity. Paul says, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. In other words, Paul is letting us know by the power of the Holy Spirit that this life that we're living in is not a party. It's not a picnic. Now, it can be wonderful at times. I rejoice because of that. There's things I love down here in life. But even now, and I think especially when you get old, older, you begin to see a soberness in this place. I was sitting in the family room and I had the door open and the, and, and the blinds up and I was just watching the trees yesterday thinking about this scripture, just swinging back and forth. And I was saying, Lord, this thing is winding down. It's time to put our eyes and our focus on you. Things are winding down. That's what Paul is saying. He says in the latter part of verse 30, those who buy as though they did not possess. We live in a consumer society in today's life. We are consuming right now mindlessly. The economy is wrapping up. You think time is wrapping up. The economy is wrapping up. American economy is winding down. And people are spending, blowing up their credit cards like there's no end. We live in a consumer-driven culture. Paul says, and those who use this world as not misusing it. Nothing wrong with hard work. My dad would always tell me that. Paul says to enjoy the fruit of your labor. Solomon, the wisest man that's ever lived, said that. But don't let your possessions possess you. You're not to be possessed by them. It's wonderful that God blesses you with good things and nice homes and nice cars and all those things. But don't let them possess you. You're transitioning to another life where you will live for eternity. And it's hard to serve God when you have one hand on things down here and you're so concerned about the things you have or the things you're trying to get. How can you be focused on that next life? Paul says, for the form, and I love this, he says, for the form of this world, verse 31, is passing away. That's perfect tense. It's presently in the process of passing away. Every second I take, every step I take, it's crumbling. It's crumbling. The boat is sinking. Do you have your life jacket on, the life jacket of Jesus Christ. The world you live in right now, Paul says, is presently in the process of passing away. America, I love America. I love this country. My dad served in the military. My son served in the military. My son-in-law retired from the service. But it's all passing away. It's in the process of presently passing away. Human government is presently in the process of passing away. First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 says this, Love not the world, because Jesus knows how we are. He says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. 
Because all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. And the world is presently passing away. It does not stop while we're sleeping. It's presently passing away. And what Paul, what what John is saying, don't love it because if you love it, there's no room in your heart for Jesus. And that's who our heart should be wide open for, to let him do the things he wants to, to do, to use us for his glory and his kingdom. And the world is in the process of passing away. Verse 32, but I, Paul says, but I want you to be without care. He tells us all of this stuff because that's his aim. Why Nero is killing people, why they're having all these earthquakes. Paul speaks to them because I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. The reason things are wrapping up You could say that back then and make an application in the light of what's going on today. Things are wrapping up. Look at the news once again. I would suggest getting up a half an hour earlier just to read your word. I'm quick to say I'm I'm, I'm busy. But at 7 o'clock, news is on. We should get up early to read the word, to get ourselves programmed to the Lord. A little more serious, we should be watching the areas of our life that we struggle with in my life, areas of my life that I struggle with. And, you know, we can tend to relax on those things. Oh, it's going to be okay. Jesus is not coming anytime soon. But we need to live consecrated life. That's why he saved us for, to live consecrated life. Live our lives for him. I enjoy my home, my family, the things that the Lord gives me. But yet and still, all of those things are passing away. There's one big gem at the end that I should be running and striving for. And that's for Jesus Christ. Looking at what's happening in the world, Paul says, how close is the rapture of Christ? He says that way back then. And look, if you don't believe in the rapture, that's okay. Keep living, you will. But if we see post-rapture scenarios right now developing in front of our eyes, if we see global scenarios developing that we know will play out during the rapture of the church, then how close we must be for Jesus to return. I think of no borders anymore for our country. People just come, just come. No borders anymore. I think of, and I used to read books in high school and middle school about artificial intelligence. But now they're talking about it now. They're designing things now. It's a norm. And especially, I don't know why I was a UFO freak, but I always knew even before I knew the Lord, he was calling me. I said, well, if there's a UFO, they must be demons. And so all of this you're hearing about artificial intelligence, you're hearing about UFOs, All of those things are happening. But what the world is doing, in my opinion, I better say, they're setting us up for when these things really begin to happen, when the church is raptured. So it's not such a big deal. They're they're setting us up for it. In fact, that's why they stir up bigotry so much now, racism so much now, Anti-Semiticism, which is of the devil, so is racism. But don't look now, because the Arab, the Muslim world, North Africa, even Turkey, and of course Russia, is aligned with each other 
coming against Israel? How close might the rapture be? If that is a post-rapture scenario, and listen, Jesus said when he comes, it will be like a thief in the night. Well, if he doesn't hurry up and come soon, we'll all be standing outside looking. The world is getting so messed up. But he said it will come as a thief in the night. That means while I'm driving towards 85 and the world is going along fine and everything, people still doing the thing they used to do and doing it more frequently, they don't have a clue. That's why you are here. That's why I'm here. That's why we are here. We should be telling them the time is short. Turn on CNN and Fox News. Everything that's going on I said, Lord, I read about this stuff, and now I'm seeing it take place. When are you coming back? And that can be considered selfish. I've got grandkids that needs to be saved, but God knows that too. But what Paul is wanting us to understand He's wanting this culture, he's wanting restored to understand is the time is getting short. How are you going to live in it? The government wants our kids now. They want to be the parents. That just shows you the time is getting short. I mean, for them to have the audacity to say, no, they're all our children. I'm saying, you're crazy. I almost said something I shouldn't say. I said, you're crazy. They're not your kids, but that's how they consider. That's how the world is shifting. And that's why, the Paul, that's why Paul says, be on your P's and Q's because the time is short. You need to be doing what Deut- Deuteronomy says do. When you get up in the morning, you should be reading the word to your kids. When you go when you, in the evening, you should get the kids together and read the word to them because you're pouring into them. And that's going to help them stand strong in a world that's against Christ and everything he does. And it's important. Paul says the time is short. Verse 30, he says, those who weep as though they did not weep. But don't let that be the controlling factor in your life. Let Jesus be the controlling factor in your life. Those of you that are rejoicing, that's wonderful in this life. But it's still in the process of passing away. And your stuff too, by the way. All the stuff you, I got this, I got this. I finally told Lydia, I'm going to tell her myself. I've been wanting F-150, a brand new one for the longest time. Just, just, I mean, I'm not going to tell you how much I've been craving this truck. And then I said, you know what? The Lord spanked me. And he spanks me the most when my mom brings something up to me. She said, boy, this truck rides good. You need to wash it and get the dents out. This is a good riding truck. And I said, mama, you know what? I was thinking the same thing. I mean, that truck rides like a car. It rides so smooth. And I said, that, that was the last straw. I said, I'm not going to continue to covet for this brand new F-150. So, Lord, it took him a while, but he finally got that off of me. But he's saying, even if you have these things, I bless you. Don't let them possess you because the time is short. Don't let those things get your eyes off of me. That's what he's saying. He says in verse 32, but I want you to be without care, without being filled with care. But he who is married cares about the things of this world, how he may please his wife. And that's proper, by the way. That's New Testament instructions, by the way. Paul's going to say it's not more sinful or less sinful to be single or to be married. It's not more spiritual to be single or to be married. Paul is saying, I'm just strictly talking in the context of the spiritual advantage. That's why it's so important to read this chapter in context, looking at the days that we're living in. That's the only thing Paul is speaking of. And look, 
If you want to be, if you want to understand this chapter, once again, you have to understand it in its full context. He says, but he that married, that is married, cares also for the things that are of this world. Verse 33, how he might please his wife. Verse 34, there is a difference, he says, also between a wife and a virgin. And the virgin cares for the things of the Lord. That's what he's saying. And again, cares only for the things of the Lord that she might be holy both in body and in spirit. That's all Paul is saying. And that's necessary. That's a necessary look at Paul and the new covenant. Remember in chapter 9, Paul says this. He says, have we not power to lead about a sister or wife as well as the other apostles and the brethren of our Lord and Cephas? Paul says, look, even Barnabas agrees with us that this is right. Because remember, they first would, they got on Paul when he went to Corinth because he was working with his hands. And they said, oh, Paul's not a true apostle. He's working with his hands. He's building tents. They've had that against him. Now that he slowed up a little bit, they're saying, hey, but you're not working with your hands anymore. So Paul can't please these people. And Paul, he was married. We talked about this last Sunday. He was married. When he became a believer, I guess his wife left him. And that's what Paul is concerned about right here. Paul says, we have that prerogative, but we're not exercising it. So he's not condemning marriage. That's for sure. Jesus instituted marriage in the Garden of Eden. Of course he wouldn't do that. He's just saying, in the times that you're living in, these concerns, they may arise up. And you need to have an answer for them. He says in verse 35, and this I say for your own profit. That's when you know they should have known how much Paul loved them. It's because when someone tells you the truth, no matter what, how much you kick against the pricks of it, and they stand there and they tell you the truth, that person cares for you. That's why it's good to read your word. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper and that you may serve the Lord without distractions. Paul says, I'm not trying to throw some noose on you of legalism, trying to lay some trip on you, not telling you you can't do it. It's not what he's saying. He's trying to speak the things that would benefit them that you might give yourself to serving the Lord with the least amount of distractions, considering the days are short. Now, verses 36 and 38, they can get complicated because some theologian says Paul is speaking of the virgin wanting to leave the house and the man is coming to get her. But if you continue to read verse by verse and put it all together, He's really speaking to the father here because back in Israel, the fathers had great say-so over the children. And that's what he's saying here. He's speaking to the father about his daughter who's not married yet. That's exactly what he's saying. He says in verse 36, If any man thinks he is behaving improperly towards his virgin, once again, I put the father in there, if she is past the flower of youth and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let them marry. So if a guy comes, he's wanting to marry your daughter, It's the father, if he says, okay, you want to marry him? Everything's fine. Go on and marry. That's all he's saying. I'm amazed at this verse. I'm amazed that Paul would say this at the church of Corinth, the lifestyle that Corinth was possessing in these days. They were doing about what they wanted to, and yet the man would stand up and say, no, 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 you're you're not going to marry my daughter. You're not even a believer. The father had that kind of, of stock 
He had that kind of uh, uh, reality of what was going on in his daughter's life. And fathers on Father's Day, that's the way we should rule our homes. You're the priest of the family. Now, I know kids grow up and get older. Then you have to do what you think is best for you. You know your kids better than I do. But in my house, I can tell you what happened in my house. When they got too old to obey me, it was time for them to hit the door. That's what both of them did when they got too old. They, they, just, they just couldn't stand it under my Pharaoh rule, rulership. They had to hit the door. And we did Bible study in the morning. We did Bible study in the evening. And I raised, especially Anthony, I raised him up like that. And he says, Daddy, I'm just going to go to the Navy. And I said, that's probably a good choice. You know we love you, Bright. We'll be here for you. Never stop praying for him. Never stop praying for Erica. But until this day, Anthony will tell his mom, and he'll tell me sometimes, that was the best thing that daddy could have did, to read those scriptures with us. Even when we were in high school, growing up, they would still come, and we would read the word together. And guess what he does now? Because when we would do our Bible study, the summer hours would do their Bible study on the family room floor in Decula. Maggie, Lydia, Anthony, Erica, and they take turns reading a half a chapter, and we discuss it. And Anthony would always try to make fun. He just liked to keep stuff going. And Maggie might mispronounce a word, and there goes 15 minutes of trying to get him back in order to do it. But guess what happens now when he's reading to Sage? He showed me a picture. He was telling Lydia. He won't tell me. He said, uh, Sage, no matter what, I'm reading the Bible to her. She'll just, him and, him and uh, Ethan, they'll just make fun just to start laughing. And I said, yep, what goes around comes around. That's what you used to do. But he's reading the word. He's reading them the word. God does not say, if it, if, correct me if he does, that when they get a certain age, especially at your home, that you stop. I can't find it. Because at my home, if they were going to stay there, they were at least going to give me that kind of respect. Hey, we're going to read the word together. Time to do it. What I'm telling you, it was a benefit, and it comes back to those kids, and it gives them seeds to work and to sow how important it was. That's what I'm trying to tell you. This girl has passed the flower of her youth. And Paul said, a a, a doctor in Ephesus said, that's when she begins her menstrual cycle. So she's past that and she's still at home. And this guy is coming wanting to marry her. That's the setup. And I I can see this guy pulling up in his dad's chariot, and I'm sure he didn't come to the door and say, hey, I'm ready to take you out, baby. Let's go and don't even speak to the the husband. I'm sure he didn't do that. Not in a Jewish home. He'd be getting out pretty quick. Let me go around the barn one more time. My dad used to tell this story since his father's day. My dad said that when he went to take my mom out, he he said, I must have said something wrong to him. Mr. Jones, he said, granddaddy took a whip and ran him around the house with that buggy whip. And that's what he says. He sticks to that story. I I don't know if daddy said something wrong. That night he didn't take mom out, though. I'm pretty sure that. And the next time he came, he, he came correctly. That's all I'm saying. All I'm saying, it matters. Not, and not only does it matter to the parents, it matters to God. Those things should be valued. They're in the church of Corinth doing what they want, but it's still some there that's raising their kids properly. It's tough these days raising your kids properly, but it can be done. It might take a little bit more effort. We were talking about this about at the men's breakfast. It can be done. It might be some days and some evenings and some nights that they, they, they don't talk to you, But the sun's still going to rise in the morning. It's all right. 
They will come around and they will understand that you meant, meant it for good. You meant it for good. And that's all Paul is saying. Even now, my older daughter, she's, if this guy wants to marry her, Paul says, well, let them get married. But he has a say in it. Verse 37, nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, speaking of does well. Verse 38, so then he who gives her, the dad, in marriage does well, but he who does not does better. And it all goes under the caption of the times of the signs that you're living in. Verse 39, he comes back and he puts a bow on it at the end because he started talking about this and he's going to close this chapter talking about the same thing. A wife is bound. Why would the Holy Spirit do that? By this time, I'm saying, oh, God, I've heard this a hundred times. You, 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 you can stop drilling me on this. And yet and still, the Holy Spirit talks about everything else, and he comes back around and points to this verse again. Because we're knuckleheads, I'll say it. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But she is happier. Signs of distress in times, that's what he matching everything to. But she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment, Paul says. And I love what he says at the end. I still use this little line every once in a while when we're debating or arguing things. He says, and I think I also have the spirit of God. Oh, wow. That's like, pop, pop, pop. <laughs> that's what that is. That's, what, that's exactly what it is. The worship team come up. That's, Paul says, hey. I'm telling you my advice, and the advice was given to me by the Lord, and it wasn't because I'm an apostle and I'm, I was found trustworthy, but because of his mercy. It's because of his mercy. After he's been so good to me, I'm going to give you my opinion? No. It's because of his mercy, and I tell you these things, not to hold you back, not to put a noose on you, but to instruct you, to warn you of the dangers, either what side you go on. He never says, do this, get married, not get married. He says, let me let you know your options. Let me know what you can expect. And you can expect it because times are hard. I love to do weddings. But I tell every couple I marry, and they think, oh, Pastor Victor just don't want me to get married. Times are not going to loosen up on us. They're going to get harder and harder. So make up your mind. Make, first thing you do if you want to get married, marry someone that's equally yoked. That's one layer of burdens that's off of you right now when, when you do that. But yet and still, because of the pressures of the world and the distress that's coming, make sure they're believers and make sure you're focused on Jesus Christ and make sure you're in the center. He's in the center of your marriage. It's nothing worse, and I'll close. I got to say it. It's nothing worse than doing a marriage Let's pray. Father, You are a great God. And it's not because of your power. It's not because you can speak the word and man will lay down and die and you can speak it again and he'll rise up again. It's not because of any of those things. I believe it's because of your love, your gentleness, your faithfulness, your mercy. That's why you, you gave Paul this to say. It wasn't because he was an apostle, but it was because of your mercy. You didn't let Peter write that down. You didn't let, let any of the rest of 
The apostles write that. But you waited on Paul. And Paul knows why. Because I think Paul had a problem. He never, he, he, in his own mind, he never added up to the rest of them. In his own mind. And Lord, and behold, when you read the New Testament, to me there's none greater, and of course Jesus Christ, not putting him in that, there's none greater than the Apostle Paul. And it's because you let him write this because of your mercy. You knew what Paul struggled with. You knew he thought he didn't add up to the rest of them. And yet he writes a lot of scripture. Lord, that's, that's what you do. You take the brokenhearted and you mend them. And you not only mend them, you lift them up from the ash heap. You know the thoughts we think. You know how the enemy can beat us up. But yet and still, you're right there to encourage us, to pour your love on us. You're a faithful God, and we thank you for that. Lord, would you bless the people here? Would you bless those that are listening? Would you go by and touch those that are hurting physically? Remind them that you love them, that you care for them. And once again, they need to remind themselves that you showed your love when you gave your life on the cross. So he loves us. May we open our hearts to love him more. And I ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen. Let's stand and close with a song, please.